Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. And just trust. Believe. <laughs> Some part of me always knew there were things in the corners of my vision, shadows that moved too quickly to really see. I guess at some point I decided my eyes were just playing tricks on me, and I dismissed them. Although due to some of my experiences over the past few years, I can no longer deny their existence. The night it all became real, I was driving home down a rural highway with my best friend. There's not much to do where we lived in small-town Illinois, and we were restless college kids, so we went on a lot of night drives and played a lot of Ingress, an augmented reality game. It was the middle of the night, and we were about ten minutes from finishing the hour-long drive home when movement caught my eye. I watched what looked like a dark shadow maybe 30 feet ahead, jump from a tree on the left side of the road, zip across, and jump into a tree on the right side. It was impossibly fast. I was once again prepared to dismiss it, but apparently I made some kind of noise of acknowledgement. My friend said, wait, you saw that too? I was shocked and we closed out the night discussing the possibilities of demons, aliens, or shared hallucinations through nervous laughter. It was like our shared acknowledgement of this event opened both of our eyes to these things. After that night, he and I both saw them more often and with more clarity. They varied in shape from humanoid to undulating pillars, and their sizes were just as variable. I can't speak to my friend's experiences in detail, but he said he often saw them while driving, and also saw them lingering on his Christian campus around religious buildings. One thing he noted was that when he pointed them out to friends, some could see them and others couldn't. I've seen them run out in front of my car and jump into trees or onto light poles just before I thought I'd hit them. Once, I was driving past a pasture, and out of the corner of my eye, I thought a horse was running alongside my vehicle. I started to smile and looked over, but it was one of them. It was vaguely humanoid, arms and legs pumping, but it looked like a storm cloud, trailing bits of darkness behind it. I didn't see eyes, but felt that it was looking into me. At the end of the pasture, it split and ran into the night. By far, the worst experience I had with them came at a very inopportune time. This is a separate horror story in itself, but one of the older guys at my college Bible study group had taken interest in me and often tried to follow me home. I had started saying my goodbyes early because he always went to sit in his truck as soon as I gave an indication that I was leaving. 
I lingered, though, talking to friends, hoping he'd get sick of waiting for me in the parking lot. He did not, and as soon as I started my car, I heard his truck start. He knew what town I lived in, but not what street. So I drove toward home and decided to take a few confusing turns down the country roads like I usually did if a car had been following behind me for too long. That night, I decided to turn left off the main road, which took me over some railroad tracks and down the middle of a cemetery where I could make a second left and hoop back toward home. I am a fan of cemeteries, and I get a sense of peace around them, so maybe I chose that route as a comfort. I don't know, but it was the wrong choice. As I turned, I was blinded by another car's high beams. When they shut them off, I could see two things. One, the truck behind me had not turned to follow me, and two, I had bigger problems. I nearly stopped my car and my heart started pounding. In the middle of the road, on the tracks between me and the oncoming car, there was a pillar of clouds. Neither of our lights penetrated its darkness. Mine shone on it as if it were a solid object, and it obscured the right headlight of the oncoming car. The driver's side of the other car brushed the edge of the pillar and whooshed right through it. I don't think they even saw it. So I drove through too, my door brushing the shadows as the outer edges spiraled, dissipated, reformed. Now shaking, I looked around, approaching my next left turn. Now, this is a respectable Catholic cemetery, so there's a large white marble statue of Jesus on the cross to my left. Except, that night, it wasn't white. It wasn't just the darkness of night shading the statue. It was wrapped in shadow, darker than I'd ever seen it, and swarming like the shadows couldn't rest on the giant crucifix's surface. I stared, then pressed the gas, pushing myself not to panic during the two-block trip to my driveway. I called my pastor, and we prayed over the town and my family. He gave me verses to read and told me this is a real spiritual threat, but all I had to do was invoke God's protection. I have not seen the shadows in my hometown since. That was two years ago. I have since moved a few states away and left the church. I haven't seen the shadows that close since, but I know they're still there. I suspect my decrease in encounters has more to do with my closing myself off to the world of the spiritual than their disappearance. But I saw one again this weekend, on a long drive home. I was almost glad to see it. I've started to feel that there's nothing more to life than what we see. It gives me a sense of wonder to know that something else is out there, even if it is something dark. I've had a lot of odd experiences in my life. My earliest experience is actually my earliest childhood memory of being in the cradle with a glowing figure in white standing over me. I'm 29 now, and I can safely say my life hasn't been dull in the scary story category. A significant portion of my childhood 
particularly the summer and winter holidays, would be spent at my paternal great-grandparents' farmhouse. This was located in a village by the Carpathian Mountains. My father's relatives would often congregate over the summer at the various estates in the mountains, and every day would be a different adventure for me, exploring the wilderness with them. My great-grandparents' house was the highest up on the mountain and the farthest away from the neighbors. We had a large apple and cherry orchard as well as farm fields, the harvesting of which would require us to ask the whole village for help. In other words, due to the acreage, the property would be entirely secluded. I remember some relatives and their two daughters had come to spend the weekend at our farmhouse, and on the last day of their weekend, I had planned a picnic, a play date, for myself and the two girls. We all dressed up in our finest summer dresses, had a trusty blanket with us, and of course a basket full of dolls. We waved goodbye to our families and darted for the orchard, just past the house fence. We were told not to wander off too far so we wouldn't get lost in the forest, and like the children that we were, we listened. I spread out the blanket under this particular ample apple tree, which couldn't have been more than a few hundred yards from the house. Now, I was the eldest in the group, and as such, I felt responsible for the girls and wanted to make sure that they were comfortable. As they played with the dolls in their make-believe world, I climbed the tree to grab some apples for all of us. I had just tossed a few down when something caught my eye in the distance. Something moving between the trees in the forest. I adjusted my position to get a better look at what it was, excited at the thought of seeing another deer or maybe a bear. I could see a shadow darting between the trees, tall, slender. I couldn't quite make it out, but it looked like it could be a person. I squinted my eyes, trying to focus on the shape in the distance. Again, it darted between the trees, but it seemed like it was coming closer. I looked down at the girls to check on them, but they were unperturbed. They just kept playing. What was even stranger to me was that I couldn't hear it move, and evidently neither could the girls. I looked up, scanning our surroundings tree by tree. A short distance away, something black reached out and around the trunk of a tree. It looked like an arm and maybe a hand, but I couldn't quite tell from the distance. I froze in fear as I watched this dark figure slowly pull itself out from behind the tree, facing my direction. It stepped out from behind the tree, and even in the direct sunlight of this sunny summer day, this figure was as black as night. It was very tall. I was surprised by its height, especially since I could tell that its knees were kind of bent. The legs looked human, but also not. They looked like the legs of a deer standing upright, but the knees were bent the way ours do. The arms were long and slender, and I couldn't tell if the fingers were strangely long or if it had claws on the ends. It had a tail that swished behind it, which only further confused me as to what I was facing. I remember being fixed on its eyes, and even in the distance they looked like flames. Its head angled, and I made out what looked like a snout as it bared teeth. It broke into a sprint towards the nearest tree, 
I jumped down and tried not to alarm the girls by calmly telling them that I thought I heard Grandma shouting for us. It was time to head back. The girls started putting the dolls away, but I saw the figure was not slowing down in its approach and announced that whoever gets home first is going to have an extra helping of dessert. The girls dropped the dolls and broke into a sprint towards the house. I followed, constantly looking behind my shoulder, only to see it chasing us. We passed the fence of the house, and the girls both darted inside, each one shouting that they were first. I grabbed the door handle, then pulled it closed, and shot a final glance at the orchard. The figure had disappeared. I stood in the doorway, scanning the distance. My great-aunt approached from the kitchen upon noticing me staring into the forest, and she asked if everything was all right. I told her that something had chased us back to the house, that I didn't know what it was, but it looked like a solid black shadow. Her brow furrowed in concern. Then she smiled softly. She patted me on the head and hung a coil of garlic around the door as she closed it. For protection, she said, then winked at me. Sensing her confidence made me feel at ease. I relaxed. I helped with dinner, and then we sent our relatives and their daughters off on their way before nightfall. I didn't mention anything else to my family, and being a kid, I quickly put it out of my mind. But I knew that whatever that thing was wasn't chasing after my visiting relatives. I knew it had been coming for me. I can't remember if I was scared of it as it was, or if I was scared because I couldn't understand what I was looking at and it was coming closer. I wonder about that because the night that followed was one of the more harrowing ones that I experienced. After tidying up, it was time for prayers. So myself, my great-aunt, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother, as well as my great-grandfather, all knelt in the family bedroom and prayed together in the flickering light of the gas lamps. My great-grandfather went to sleep in his regular kitchen cot my grandmother tucked inside beside my great-aunt in the family bedroom, and my grandmother walked me over to the guest room. It was my favorite room in the house as it was decorated with various shades of blue, my favorite color, and had a glass door leading to the veranda so I would always have a nice view of the mountain peaks in the starry sky. She tucked me in with a goodnight kiss and then made her way over to the family bedroom. I heard each one say goodnight. Then, the gas lamps went out. I lay there smiling, staring at the stars in the sky and picturing distant fairy tale lands as I longed to be a part of them. I heard my great-grandfather snoring in the kitchen, shortly followed by the much more modest whistling of the sleeping women in the other room. I listened to the melody of the crickets outside, the ticking of the grandfather clock in the main room, the breathing of the house all around me. Then came drums a slow but steadily repeating drum beat. I thought to myself that somehow the sound must be traveling from the village at the foot of the mountains, that someone must be having some celebration. I listened to the drum and even started shuffling my feet under the covers to the rhythm. I was still at ease until I heard a rhythmic huffing join in. This huffing grew louder and was shortly joined by a deep, guttural resonance. 
that was almost melodic. It changed pitch as it grew in intensity and volume. I stared out the glass door into the darkness, trying to see anything that might indicate where this sound was coming from. The macabre music grew louder and louder until I could feel the vibrations in my chest, until I thought my head would burst. Then silence, not a creak, not a breath, or a cricket in the grass, nothing. Everything lay still. I felt uneasy, nauseous from the ringing in my ears and the throbbing in my chest. The shadow started to emerge from the bottom of the veranda stairs. Step by step, it grew taller and nearer, until it stood pressed against the glass door. Darker than the night surrounding it, and as tall as the door itself, I stared at it. It can't get in, I thought to myself, only to hear the soft creaking of the skeleton key on my side of the door being turned in the lock. Then the doorknob turned gently, just enough for the door to slip open. The shadow poured over the floor, like a pool of tar slowly making its way towards the bed. It crept underneath and I froze in place as I heard a gurgling and cracking noise from below me. I looked down towards the end of my bed telling myself that it was all a bad dream, that it couldn't be real, it couldn't be happening. Almost as if I heard my thoughts, the shadow emerged from underneath the foot of my bed. I saw its head first, a full head of long hair with two horns curling along it. I felt the pressure of its large, clawed hands digging into the bed as it hoisted itself up to reveal a large bulwark of a figure. It stood there hunched over my bed, watching. Suddenly, it grabbed onto my right leg and began to pull. Stirred to action by the need to fight for my life, I began kicking violently, as hard as my little body could manage. I screamed and screamed to no avail. It was as if silence was a cloak stifling my room. I kicked the creature, feeling its arms and torso as hard as concrete under my feet. I wrangled my leg free, but not without its claws digging in and leaving a slash from my knee to my ankle. As if frustrated, the creature dropped its arms and turned its head to the family bedroom. I pulled the covers around me and slunk into the farthest corner of my bed, only to watch it dissolve into the pool of darkness and creep along the floor to the adjoining room. I must have fainted, because the next thing I remember is waking up with the sunlight hitting my face. I scrambled up and threw the covers off of me, seeing the scabbed cut on my leg. My heart jumped into my throat. I hadn't dreamt it. I had seen it go into the other room. I started shaking as I lowered myself from my bed and slowly crept towards the door, which had been left ajar. I peeked outside. The beds were made. The room was empty. I stepped through, gently, trying not to make any noise as I made my way to the kitchen to check on my great-grandfather. I heard voices from outside. When I looked, I saw on the patio that the ladies were all sitting in the sunlight sipping coffee. Maybe I had been dreaming. Maybe I had scratched myself, I thought as I approached the open window.
The somber look on their faces stopped me in my tracks, and I was close enough to hear their conversation clearly. Did you feel it too? My great aunt asked. It just woke me up, answered my grandmother. And when I looked over, you and mom were awake too. It was so cold, said my grandmother. I was frozen, added my great aunt. They were definitely talking about the previous night. Me too, said my grandmother, but that's not it. It felt more like... She took a deep breath, and I could hear it shaking as she exhaled. It felt like death itself was in the room. It felt like there was no light left anywhere in the world. The women fell silent, and all started staring into their own cups of coffee. Terrified, I slunk back into the guest room and got dressed. I asked my grandmother to take me back down to the village that same day. That visit was, coincidentally, the last time I would go to that farmhouse. I've since left the country, and even when I visited my relatives, I have refused to go back to that village. The area is rich with folklore, and the villagers are true believers in the old stories and the old ways. For me, there's always been a strong sense that something is waiting there, and I haven't had the courage to face it. But through all these years, I've searched for answers as to what the entities I've been seeing could be. BRB, I typed into several chat windows of AOL Instant Messenger. I stood up from the family computer in our office slash guest room and lightly jogged through our kitchen and up the stairs to move my laundry so my mom could start the next load. As soon as it was placed in my room, I took off, leaping down the stairs to get back to the computer. The allotted hour of chat time, post-homework, and pre-sleep was the only opportunity outside of school to talk to my friends or crushes. I was hopping down the stairs, four at a time, thinking about what I needed to say to Sweet Snow 87 and Sumo Freak 11, as I suddenly landed at the base of the staircase. I turned left to head back through the kitchen and straight into the computer room, when I saw directly in front of me a man standing in the kitchen. He was very thin, sunken cheeks, mostly bald with some disheveled strands around the sides. He was wearing a tank top with loose overalls and had metal chains draped over his shoulder. The peculiar thing, though, was that he had a faint glow to him. As soon as I saw him, I froze, still standing at the bottom of the staircase. He turned his head to look back at me. We stared at each other in complete stillness for almost seven long seconds, until he released his head forward and began walking down the hallway toward our back door. Cautiously, I walked into the kitchen and looked down the hall, but he was gone. I looked around as I processed what just happened and, moments later, ran back to the computer, shouting on all of my chats, I think I just saw a ghost. Later that same year, I had just finished closing a cafe I worked at. All of the employees were close friends and we always walked to our cars together, both for company and safety. We stopped right outside to chat for a while before dispersing to our cars. 
As we were standing there, wrapping up our conversations, I glanced over towards the parking lot and saw a clear figure of a boy, about 11 years old, in a full-out sprint, racing across the parking lot. He ran right through the fence and into the nearby baseball field. I looked back at the group, but no one else seemed to notice anything. Shortly after that experience, I was at my high school boyfriend's house getting ready to leave for dinner. I was walking down the hallway with his mom as we passed his bedroom. I paused and did a double take. She waited a moment and said, You saw her, didn't you? I exhaled a questionable yes. I saw what appeared to be a small figure. She looked frail and older by the slouch in her upper body, but her entire figure was just a dark silhouette, completely blacked out. His mom proceeded to tell me about a woman who had lived in the house before them and had passed away there. Apparently, she saw her all the time. Before that year, I had never seen anything paranormal, nor had any interest in it. After that year, I had only one other unexplainable experience at my brother's house, six years later. I was standing in the back room of his house, which is separated from the main house by a long, narrow hallway. My brother and our friend went to grab a mattress for me from the main house as I was getting myself and my dog ready for bed. The entire week, my dog was perfectly happy going to this back room, but that night I had to call him back with me several times, which I didn't think anything of at the moment. As my dog went to go lay in his bed, a low, grumbly male said something tauntingly right behind me. He made the noise of a cat, meowing. I whipped around to see nothing but the empty room. Right at that moment, my brother and friend came walking down the hallway carrying the mattress. I immediately told them what had happened, which led to incessant meow jokes and punchlines from them. I promise each of these stories are 100% true to my experience, unchanged and unembellished. I have no explanation and still have no certain opinions on ghosts or an afterlife, whether it's ghosts, glitches in time and space, or other theories, I am comfortable leaving it as what it was, unexplainable moments in my life. I've told stories about meeting greys in my dreams, but you're in for a weird ride this time. After having some time of not dreaming about these greys or anything related, I have this dream where I find myself in an unknown city. I see tall buildings in a semi-tropical weather and far away something that resembles the road to heaven that I saw in another dream. In front of me, there is a metallic structure resembling a container with a line of yellow and blue lights, and above it, there stands a solitary small gray. He looks old and wise. Having learned from previous experiences with other groups, I sit down on the floor and radiate with this dim golden aura. Trying to be as friendly as I can, I ask him the same question I did with the first ones. 
What can I learn from you and what can I do to help you? This gray remains immobile and silent. Then I wake up. Some days later, I find myself in a dark room only illuminated by distant, horizontal lights, like some really big curtain blinds. I'm paralyzed, lying naked on a metal table. I hear a satisfied growl at my right. I see about a five foot seven reptilian male, somehow cloaked by a shadow, like a chameleon. Suddenly, I feel a soft pressure on my prostate, and I don't know how, but I see this orange light growing inside that part of my body. I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I'm in danger. So somehow I manage to snap out of the paralysis and grab the head of the alien. My body suddenly becomes bigger and stronger. My skin becomes a dark blue and even thicker than the reptilian. Like it has turned into this forged steel. I grab his head so strongly that my fingers sink inside of his skull and I get angrier by the second. I start to scream. Where the fuck am I? What the fuck is going on? How do I get out of here? You're not welcome in my house. I was in pure, undiluted survival mode. While I am screaming, my fingertips shine with this strong, clear blue light and the reptilian twitches like he's being electrocuted. At the last second, I got to see two more people in the room. One is a smaller reptilian, a female, and the other one, a reptilian-gray hybrid, both seemingly using the same cloaking technology. They were freaking out, looking at the gruesome scene, and then at each other. Then I instantly wake up. I'm so pissed. Now, I've dreamed before of reptilians always doing something bad like hunting down a girl that I was chosen to escort to the light, or that time that I saw some kind of military kidnapping a baby gray. He was entirely black, but with some kind of stealth gear on his back making his spine scales square. He was carrying this small gray baby who was terrified. It was the first time that I saw a gray making an expression of terror. I was just an observer at that time. He noticed me and snarled at me, then kept going. Some minutes later, I was asleep again, trying not to remember what happened before. Then, again behind this structure, where I saw the old, wise gray standing, there was now a tall, blonde woman. She was beautiful and she was smiling. Her hair was collected in a ponytail. She wore some kind of diamond-sprinkled white rose cape with some tones of clear blue covering great parts of her upper body. The surroundings were blurry and brilliant. There was light everywhere. She told me something that I could not understand, but I knew she was thanking me for something. Again, I woke up after that. Now, I kept thinking about the incident the whole week. Were the reptilians trying to make me mate with the female? Was the old gray somehow involved? Was I becoming crazy? For the record, I have done studies on my brain and it all comes out normal. I have no psychosis or any mental illness or even any kind of overactive imagination. Throughout my life, I've had many paranormal events 
and so have some relatives of mine. Two days ago, I had a dream that I was inside a room of some kind of rock, almost like it was made of mold. There was a green mist floating in the air, making it difficult to see. In front of me, there was another gray, an old one, sitting in some kind of throne made of white volcanic stone. This guy was different than the others. The old gray that I met before looked exactly like the two, but the one in front had these round black eyes, not the almond-type goggle eyes that most greys have. His head was crossed with scales, forming some kind of crown, or so I thought. His small body was pretty basic, no nose, the cranium was more developed on the back, big square chin unlike the other greys, and his skin looked like it was made of paper. He wasn't just old, he was ancient. Like the prototype of Greys before becoming the actual version that we all know. He had this air of someone that you have to respect. So I did, staying put and not saying a word. We looked at each other for a while before I woke up. This encounter left me with even more questions about why I'm having so many dreams about aliens and the afterlife. I never asked for any of this and I seem to get into situations like this more and more often. I recently chuckled when I saw an overly enthusiastic guy posting about wanting to be contacted. I wish that I were that naive. I'm from the Philippines, and in my country, family reunions are not uncommon. Sometime between 2004 and 2005, my family and I attended a reunion at my uncle's vacation home in the province. It was a two-story American-style home with a big pool and a garden. We got there at sunset, and my cousins and I immediately made a beeline to the pool. We swam until it was dark. As we were playing, the electricity went out, and we had to use a gas lamp instead. Thankfully, the power went back on, and all was well for the night. Each family slept in separate rooms. Knocked out from all the fun, I immediately dozed off, only to be awoken by my mom singing to my newborn baby sister in Tagalog, Memena baby, memena, which roughly translates to, sleep tight, my baby. Anyway, I felt comforted, since my mom used to sing that same song to us to make us fall asleep when we were kids. It continued on for a few minutes, but for some reason, I found myself sitting up to look over at my mom and baby sister. To my confusion, they were both sound asleep, even though I still heard the lullaby being sung. I was absolutely terrified. I forced myself to shut my eyes and I hid under the blanket. As we were leaving the following day, another uncle of mine was talking to the caregiver of the house, and he was told that before, a mother committed suicide inside the house by jumping off the second floor balcony and hitting her head on the pool's gutter as she fell, leaving her baby crying on the balcony. I got chills. It was the first and only paranormal encounter of my life. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Odd Trails. This week you have heard Shadows by Derby An untitled submission by Nia An unnatural year by Lindsay Constant dreams of many types of aliens by Night of the Vuvuzuela And finally A Mom's Lullaby by Eula All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you've got a story to share, make sure you send it to stories at oddtrails.com. So that story about the aliens appearing in dreams, it kind of reminds me of the story back in episode 6 of the individual who also wasn't always too sure if he was just seeing these aliens or having dreams. Um, I believe they saw, they had conversations with aliens at their coffee table even. And this kind of makes me think how we talked about earlier. Are these really dreams or are these memories that could be implanted in our dreams as a way to communicate with us? Yeah, or I, I have trouble with this one because if they're dreams, why are people having such similar dreams? Why are we all seeing the gray aliens, the reptilians? You know, why would people be seeing the same thing? This, you also have to take into consideration like the hypnotic regression that people will do where they can go back and, you know, when they're hypnotized, go back and describe all of these details of everything right. that happened. And then emotionally, they're just crying. They're bawling. Or it's they're, very real. Very exactly, real. Exactly. Those are real emotions. Everything is so much more real to these people than a regular dream. I've woken up from some really disturbing dreams. I mean, I've woken up crying. Oh, dreams, yeah. Same here. Absolutely. But never have I been able to, like, think back on a dream and it just destroy me. Just break into tears you know what i mean yeah there's something more to them for sure for sure it's way more serious than a dream i think what's going on here and not to fan the flames of a fire that may have been started in regards to the church of scientology but a little trade secret here in ot3 that course of theirs they which stands for operating thetan Mm. Uh, that's a whole nother story (laughs) but anyway Uh, A little trade secret here. Their official story is that there was an alien named Xenu who billions of years ago gathered the souls of, I I guess, aliens. It's been so long, but long story short, he blew them up with hydrogen bombs in a volcano. And those spirits, also known as Thetans, attached themselves to our cavemen bodies. I, I think South Park covered it pretty well. And we were basically brainwashed into believing everything that we know about society as a whole um the origins of life and everything else i'm not completely against the whole idea that we were brainwashed about the origins of humanity and earth and everything i kind of feel like history has been rewritten a million times and we don't know anything about history for sure when you look into things like anunnaki and things that go way back sumerian tablets and things uh the the thing about the scientology thing it's way too cool it's, it's just way, way too, too cool. cool. That's for, just a really cool movie. For a science fiction writer to come up with that and be like, no, this is true. This is true. I'm not yeah, just yeah. using my imagination. It's yeah. just way too cool. This is, yeah. yeah. Um, but we did get somebody writing into us yeah. who was a Scientologist that was not happy with that episode. He, he was not happy. Um, I won't read the emails only because it was, it was a cordial exchange. It wasn't at first. Um, however, I do want to at least say we are very accepting of all faiths. Yeah, um, of course. Our gripes are with the organization itself. Exactly. I, I, my whole family's Pentecostal, but my gripes are with the organization, the United Pentecostal Church. I will wage war against them for the rest of my life. Exactly. No harm there. <laughs> yeah. 
Wish us luck. Yeah, wish us luck. But yeah, it, it doesn't matter. If you're a Scientologist, if you're a Pentecostal, if you're a Mormon, it doesn't matter what religion you belong to. We are just anti-organized religion here. That's just yeah. our opinion, you know, yeah. whatever. We're not judging you at all. And I've we say there. that of people who are of faith. Yeah, absolutely. Again, all of my family are people of faith and very religious, and they're still Pentecostal. I love them just the same, you know. Not even just a little bit less? Mm. Slightly less? Slightly less, yes. Okay. Yeah. There's a few cousins that I just don't love at all. Oh, yeah. I don't like those guys either. (laughs) Anyway, we love you guys. And if you are a Scientologist, we don't want you to stop listening. But if you feel you need to, if if this upsets you too much, maybe look look inward a little bit. Look at the situation. Maybe reevaluate and see, why did this upset me so badly? Uh, I don't know. But, you know, we didn't mean any harm. Absolutely not. And it it was a very good, productive conversation. I feel like we both learned a lot about ourselves yeah we're not here to fire back at you not at all not at all i I appreciate that email yeah and uh we hope the best for you anyways thanks everyone for listening we hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of on trails we'll see you next week adios adios stay safe stay safe stop stop interrupting me i'm doing my outro thing i thought you were done no stay safe bye okay